the scripture today is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand this part of the Bible, and then we'll jump in and study it together. Please pray with me. Father, we come again tonight and ask that you would do work in our hearts, helping us to see and understand what you are telling us in these few verses that are the words of Jesus himself. We ask that you would show to us mercy by granting to us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us here. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I recently, over the Christmas holidays, read uh, a really good book, a historical novel called uh, Boys in the Boat, about uh, the 1936 Olympic gold medal rowing team, which was really the University of Washington's college crew team. It's a fascinating story. Uh, If you like a good um, historical piece, I'd encourage you to check it out. Even if you know nothing about rowing, which I did at the time I read that book, it's a really good and interesting book to read. And one of the things that makes it so interesting is to hear about just how physically strenuous and difficult the actual process of rowing is. There are these long boats and nine um, men would get into the boat and they had to row together in absolute perfect synchronization in order to get the boat up to the speeds that they would go at in these competitions. And uh, the thing that's so interesting and compelling about the 1936 Washington crew is that they were made up of a bunch of young men that grew up in extremely poor Great Depression households. And uh, their life had been very, very difficult from almost the moment in which they were born. In a sense, their athletic prowess and achievement in rowing was was sort of a physical example of what they had been dealing with their entire life. And oftentimes, I was most fascinated in the book when the author would talk about the practices that these men would go through and have to endure as they prepared for the races. Out on Lake Washington, it would often get very, very cold, very, very rainy and frosty and sleety and snowy, and the wind would pick up, and they would row for hours. Hours on end, so much so that the blisters on their hands were healed over and then blistered up again, and they had frostbite on all of their extremities. It's just a ridiculous amount of work that they put in. You know, looking from a distance at their efforts, at their perseverance, I find it amazing. I find it so compelling and motivating and inspiring. The idea that these nine men who came from very poor households would end up setting a world record before Nazi Germany in 1936 in the Olympics is is to me something that was just tremendously fun to read about. You know, we tend to love the idea of perseverance, And stories like that about perseverance and about overcoming odds and about working hard and dedicating yourself to a particular goal or a particular end, we tend to love those sort of stories when we hear them from a distance. But it's much, much harder to actually experience perseverance in your life. You know, if you've read the Bible much, 
as a believer or as a non-believer, one thing I hope you notice is that very, very often God compels and encourages and even commands his people to continue to persevere, to continue to run the race, to fight the good fight, to last until the end. And we might even read those biblical stories and find them to be inspiring and motivating. And yet so often the actual act, the actual process in our own lives of persevering is anything but inspiring. In fact, it's just painful and hard. So what part does the process of perseverance play in the Christian life? That's really what we want to think about tonight as we conclude this six-week series called So Great a Salvation, where we've been looking at the question, what does it mean to be saved from various angles? That's a question that most people have either been asked or asked someone else in a place like San Antonio, Texas. And it's a question that the Bible answers in all sorts of varying ways. We've said time and again that Asking and answering the question, what does it mean to be saved, is kind of like looking at a very big, beautiful piece of jewelry from different perspectives and different angles. Or like looking at a beautiful painting and seeing one thing one time and noticing something else that was beautiful another time. So we've looked for the last five weeks at various ways the Bible talks about salvation. And we've seen that we have been saved in that we've been adopted into God's family. We are now his children through faith in Jesus. We've seen that we've been justified, declared righteous by Jesus' one righteousness that was freely given to us in that transaction that happened on the cross. We've seen that we've been born again to a new hope and have an inheritance that's never going to perish. We've also seen last week that salvation isn't just about things that have happened to us in the past, but in a sense it's an ongoing process. We are more and more being saved as God conforms us into the image of Jesus. And tonight, as we conclude, I want us to understand that oftentimes in the Bible, salvation is also spoken of in future terms. You know, the New Testament especially says that we have been saved. We are, in some sense, being saved. And one day, we will be saved. Jesus himself speaks in this way all the time. He says in multiple parables, the one who perseveres. The one who lasts to the end will be saved. And so what does that mean? What does it look like for you and for me if we're following Jesus to persevere, to experience final and future salvation? It's a very important question. And it's the one we want to get at just for a couple of minutes here tonight. So let me try and summarize what I think Jesus is telling us in John chapter 10, which is a great text on the idea of perseverance. Let me try and summarize that just with this one sentence. Salvation involves our perseverance in God or in him, which always rests on God, God's preservation of us. Salvation involves our perseverance in him, but that always rests on God's preservation of us. Those are the two big points I have for you tonight. Let's just break that statement down. I want to show you first that God, or excuse me, that we persevere. We are called to persevere. But secondly, that salvation also involves God's preserving work. Salvation involves our perseverance and salvation involves God's preservation. So first, let's think about this idea that salvation, being saved, being a Christian, involves your and my perseverance to the end. 
That's, I think, what Jesus is getting at here, particularly in that verse 27 that Marianne read for us. He says there, my sheep, speaking to the Jewish religious leaders of his day, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know, Jesus is debating back and forth here with the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious theological students of his day. And they're saying again and again to him, how can you say these things about yourself and about your people? And in John chapter 10, the overarching metaphor that Jesus is using is that he is the good shepherd and his people are the sheep. And here in verse 27, really he's in some ways answering the question, how do you know if you're one of God's sheep? Or for our purposes tonight, think of the question like this. What are signs that you are truly persevering, that you are truly one day going to be saved? That's what Jesus is getting at here in particularly verses 25, 26, and 27. And so as we think about the idea of our perseverance, of our fighting the good fight and standing fast to the end, I want to show you three signs that Jesus gives us here that will help us answer the question for ourselves. Are we persevering? Are we, as we talked about last week, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling as God works and wills in us for his good pleasure? Three ways we can know that. And so this is a text, I think, for for some healthy self-examination to take place among us as we hear the words of Jesus. Let's look at verse 27. The first sign, really this is in 26, the first sign that we can know that we are persevering is that we are continuing in saving faith. Look at what Jesus says there in 26. He's talking to the religious leaders and he says, you do not what? You do not believe because you are part of, you are not part of my flock. And then in verse 27, really, he's just elaborating on on what it means to believe. It means hearing Jesus's voice and being known by Jesus. So one sign that you are saved, that you will be saved, that you are persevering is that you continually express in your heart and in your life, saving faith in Jesus. That might sound like superfluous to even say, like, why do we even need to say that, you know? But I think it's worth saying because it's important for us to know that, you know, at the end of the day, what marks the Christian, the follower of Jesus above everything else is the fact that he or she believes in Jesus. From the time you were a child to the time you have your own children to middle age to retirement to the moment you're lying on your deathbed, perseverance involves placing saving trust in Jesus. Now that might seem obvious to any of you who have been a Christian for more than five minutes, but I think it needs to be said for this reason. We oftentimes confuse believing things about Jesus with believing in Jesus. And I want you to hear this. It's it's very possible to believe a lot of true things about Jesus and yet not really to believe in him at all. It's possible to have a PhD in theology or in the New Testament, to know a lot of historical facts about Jesus, to hear things that happened to him in his life, to read about his story in the Gospels of the New Testament and to say, yes, I accept that those things are true. I accept that those things happen. It's possible to do all of that. It's possible to teach about those things with compelling conviction. It's possible to lecture students about things that happened to Jesus. It's possible to know a lot about Jesus and yet not at the end of the day to know Jesus. 
It's possible to believe true things about him and yet not to really believe in him at all. That's, I think, what Jesus is pushing at us here. Those who persevere are those who don't just accept facts about Jesus to be true, but they believe in Jesus. They rest in him. They rely on him. They express through faith their dependence upon him. You know, it's easy by way of analogy to say, I believe in modern medicine. Modern medicine heals people. It makes people get better. Going to see the doctor, going to the hospital for a surgical procedure helps. That's a good thing. Two thumbs up. It's very, very different when you have a brain tumor and you're lying on the hospital bed about to go into surgery where a physician is going to open up your head and mess with your brain. At that moment, you must not just sort of believe in the abstract. Yes, modern medicine is a very good thing. But you must acknowledge that you are, in a very real way, placing your life and your death in the hands of modern medicine. You know, it's the same with Jesus. Flannery O'Connor, the great 20th century American novelist and essayist, would often say that those who were nearest to Jesus oftentimes were those who were the farthest away from him. It's possible to be very, very close to Jesus-type language, to Jesus-type people, to Jesus-type religion, and not believe in to Jesus. Paul's saying here, excuse me, Jesus is saying here, Paul says it too, but Jesus is saying here that the one who perseveres to the end is the one who has a continuing saving faith in Jesus. So that's the first sign, that you are persevering. You with me? Second sign is that Those who persevere and will be saved are those who hear, who listen to Jesus' words. Look at what he says in 27. My sheep, here's their defining characteristic, my sheep hear my voice. Back in verse 3 of the same chapter, Jesus says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The second sign that you are persevering in the faith is that you hear. You hear the word of Jesus here in the scriptures that have been inspired and compiled for you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the third sign is very, very closely tied to that second one. Jesus says that people who are persevering, those who will be saved, don't just hear his voice, but they also, what? They follow him. Or as James says in his letter, those who persevere are not hearers of the word only, but doers of the word as well. Jesus says here very clearly, and let me try to say it very clearly, that the one who is truly saved, the one who is persevering, is the one who does what Jesus says. You know, Jesus says just a few chapters after this in John's gospel, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The follower of Christ, the one who's had his or her life transformed by the captivating grace of the gospel, is obedient to Jesus. That's what it means to persevere. That's in many ways what it means to be saved. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that perseverance equals perfection. He's not saying that only those who obey perfectly and never mess up again are those who are going to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that true believers, that those who are saved by Jesus' grace, can't at times backslide very seriously into sin. That they can't struggle with sin for decade upon decade until the moment that they die. But he is saying 
That those who are truly in Christ, that those who have truly been changed by the gospel, yes, they're going to struggle with sin. Yes, they may backslide, but they, they repent and they continue to believe. They say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And they run back to Jesus. Jesus is saying here that to persevere, to know that you're truly saved, that you are one of Jesus' sheep means that you believe him and that you hear his voice and then that you, that you obey it. Listen, do you see, you feel the thrust of of what Jesus is is pressing on us here? Do you obey him? That's really the question. Do you hear his voice? A healthy self-examination is called for here by Jesus. To be saved does not simply mean that one time in the distant future, in your foggy memory, you walk down an aisle and pray to prayer and your life has basically been the same as it was before that moment ever since. To be saved does not mean that when you were a little baby, your grandparents and your parents took you to church and had you baptized. To be saved does not mean that at one point in your past, you went to youth camp and had an extremely emotional experience and cried tears and pled with God to save you and help you. But since then, you haven't thought about it much much at all. Listen, our city is strewn and littered with the wreckage of souls who thought that all you need to be a follower of Jesus is to place a mark on a card, drop it in an offering plate, and then go on your merry way with no change at all. That is not salvation, Jesus says. And he's calling you and he's calling me to examine ourselves and to see, to ask, are we truly Jesus' sheep? The trust, true faith, real salvation shows itself in a growing and committed obedience to King Jesus. Now, at this point, this sermon becomes very dangerous. And here's why. It's dangerous because you and I might leave here and think, I'm going to do it now. We might leave here thinking, you know, I haven't really been following Jesus. I haven't really been listening to his voice. Obedience to Jesus has never been that high on my priority list. But dadgummit, I'm going to do it now. Let's go. Boom. I'm motivated. Thanks, Pastor Luke. Uh, The danger is that we will leave here like Peter. You know the story of Peter? One of Jesus' closest friends and one of the apostles that helped start the church. When Jesus told Peter and the other disciples the night before his crucifixion, tomorrow they're going to come and they're going to arrest me and they're going to put me up on a cross and they're going to torment me and torture me and I'm going to die. Peter said, No way. No way. That's not going to happen. And you know what, Jesus? If that happens, I'm going with you. I'm going down with this Jesus ship. No one can ever turn me to the right or turn me to the left. I'm with you, Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, actually, Peter, Satan is trying to sift you like wheat in Luke chapter 22. And you will fall away. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. But Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. Peter reacted like we might react. I can do this. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to persevere. Let's go, baby. And Jesus says, slow down. In fact, you will never persevere unless you understand that I am the one that's going to preserve you. You will always fall away unless you grasp that your perseverance is at all times dependent 
on my persevering with you. So I've prayed for you, Peter. You know, imagine a, imagine a, a, a dad walking with his little girl along a very narrow hiking trail with a very steep, jagged cliff face directly to their right. And this dad is not thinking very clearly because he has his daughter on the right side nearest the cliff. And they're holding hands. And at one moment, they're continually holding hands. And at one moment, the little girl's foot slips and she begins to stumble and the dust begins to come up and some rocks begin to crumble down the ledge. And the girl begins to fall, but because she's holding her dad's hand, she's able to not fall down into um, the crevice. And, you know, the girl is holding her dad's hand. She needed to be holding her hand in order to stay upright. But really, it's the strength of her dad's arm that keeps her from falling and plunging to either severe injury or worse, right? And Jesus is saying the same thing to us here. He's saying, yes, you must persevere. You must continue to hold the hand of the Father as you walk the life of the Christian walk. But the reason that you don't ever fall isn't because the strength of your grip, it's because of the strength of the Father's grip on you. And so secondly, I want you to see that yes, salvation involves your perseverance, sorry, but it also involves God's preservation. That's really the main point Jesus is making here. He says to us and to the original audience, yes, my sheep are the ones who listen. They're the ones who obey. They're the ones who believe. But then in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a great verse. Love that verse. Jesus is saying here, listen, the reason that my sheep remain my sheep is not because they're good, diligent little sheep. No, the sheep run away and I chase them down. The reason you persevere is not because of the strength of your faith and your perseverance. The reason that you ultimately persevere is because God has determined to never let anyone snatch you out of his hand. Two signs that you see here that encourage you to believe that God does preserve you. The first sign that Jesus gives is in the very nature of the gift itself. I mean, look there again at 28. Jesus says, I give them what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And then he says, just for emphasis, they will never perish. You know, it's, it's in the nature of the thing given that it lasts forever. It's a contradiction in terms to lose eternal life. It's life forever. It's life eternal. It's something that can't be taken away from you. The very nature of the gift, because it is a gift, you know, the very nature of the gift of your salvation means that you can never lose it. How arrogant is it of us to believe that our sin can be more powerful than God's grace? How arrogant is it of us to presume that we can do something so bad that we can fall away so fast that God cannot any longer save us? Listen, God saved you in the very beginning before the world was made. God saved you when Jesus dies on the cross. Do you think that God is not going to save you at the end of time when you're facing death? God is going to finish what he began. As Paul tells us in Philippians 1, he who began the good work in you will be faithful. He will be faithful to complete it. So that's the first way we know God will preserve us to the end. It's in the nature of the gift he gives. We will never perish. Eternal life by definition can't be lost. But we also know that God will preserve us to the end because of the 
because of the Trinitarian unity with which God works to save us. I mean, look at those beautiful words there again. Verse 28, or excuse me, yeah, 28. They will never perish. No one will snatch them, Jesus says, out of my hand. And then the very next thing, my father, who's greater than all, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You are, Jesus says here, if you have placed your trust in him forever held in the hands that flung the universe into existence. You are forever held in the hands that were nailed to a cross and pierced bloody so that your sin could be paid for. You are forever held in the hands that at this very moment uphold this entire universe. You are forever held in the hands of the person that created Jupiter and the furthest galaxies. The power of God's hands are so great and the love of God's hands are so deep that there's no way you can ever be snatched out of them by anything else. Let that encourage you when you're facing persistent sin in your life. (laughs) When you're asking yourself, how is it that I still mess this up every single day? Believe in that moment that God's grace is more powerful than your persistent sin. No one can snatch you out of his hand. God will preserve you. Believe and tell yourself this truth when you're doubting that God could continue to love you because of what you've done in your past that you can't share with anyone else, that you've hidden in a deep cave in your heart and locked up and thrown away the key. Believe that God's love for you is so great that not even your worst failing, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, can pluck you out of his hand. He will preserve you. Believe. Tell yourself this truth when you face a future that is at best uncertain and at worst terrifying. Believe in that moment that God has crafted your future just as he has crafted your past and your present and that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that will separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ your Lord. Listen, the reason and really the power for your perseverance is the truth of God's unbreakable, unshakable preserving. He is the good shepherd and he will never Let his sheep go. Salvation means that God will preserve his people to the end. And in the strength of that knowledge, we can persevere. God has promised on his own honor by his own name to never let his people go. Let me close with this story. Um, The great Scottish preacher, Eric Alexander, um, tells a story about a lady in the Scottish Highlands who was about to die. And her local parish pastor um, went to visit her and walked to her house. And as the pastor walked into the room where she lay dying, the other people, her family and friends were there. And they separated and made room for the pastor to come forward. And he got down and knelt right at her ear. And he whispered words of comfort and sweetness to her. He reminded her of the gospel. But she wasn't very responsive. She was drifting into death. And so in that moment, the pastor, for some unknown reason, changed his tact. And he began to say to this woman, what if Jesus lets you go? What if when you die, he casts you aside? 
What if you are not safe to trust him? And at those words, the old Scottish woman perked up. And her eyes opened and she looked at the pastor and they weren't dull, they were crystal clear. And she said to him with that deep Scottish brogue that I'm not going to try to imitate, Pastor, you know better than that. And the pastor said, how can you be so sure? And the woman responded, because he would lose much more than I would lose if he were to let me go. To that, the pastor was somewhat surprised and he responded, well, what could you ever mean by that, dear one? And the woman responded, you see, if Jesus were to let me go, I would lose my eternal soul, but God would lose his honor. God will never lose his honor. He has staked his eternal glory on the fact that nothing will pluck you out of his hand. When the woman spoke those words, the pastor said, you're ready for glory. Let's pray.